that is ours to share together I want to talk a little bit about uh, the greatest commandment the greatest commandment uh, I kind of chuckled when I saw this uh, passage Matthew 22 uh, being in the lectionary uh, because I'm pretty familiar with it I took this class in uh, the torture chamber known as seminary um, and I took a uh, this class with a professor by the name of Theodore Walker. Theodore Walker was a, what they would call a process theologian. I won't bore you with all the things that go along with being a process theologian. I'm gonna just say I'm not one, all right? I, but uh, one quote from the, one of the greater process theologians, Schubert Ogden, kind of stuck with me. Uh, hold on, excuse me. So yeah, one of the quotes that uh, this, this process theologian Schubert Ogden uh, said is that he called God the uh, total, all-inclusive whole of all reality. And hold on, excuse me. Yeah, so the greatest, and one of the things that uh, kind of bothered me about uh, Professor Walker uh, was uh, he was an eccentric fellow and uh, he had dreads and the dreads went all the way down to his feet and he wasn't trying to make any kind of political statement with it uh, he just decided that he would rather spend more time reading and so he got rid of oh, excuse me so he got he got, he got rid of all of the things that he thought that would not make him better at his job. And he thought that going to get a haircut took too much time away from him being better at his job as a theologian and an educator of the, the brightest minds coming out of seminary. And so he wouldn't do anything that distracted him from doing his job. Oh, excuse me. He wouldn't do anything that would distract him from his job. And so he would also, we had this thing called Blackboard where you could upload assignments and, and email the assignments to you and all of these things. And he refused to use any technology. The only technology that he really did or used on a regular basis was he would pass out the syllabus. That was typed up on, on the word processor, but everything else was handwritten. We had to use those little blue examination books for the deal, and he did not like technology. Why? Because he felt that technology was a distraction. This is not unusual, amen. They say that some 81% of Americans check their phone while they're out having dinner in a public restaurant, which means they're not looking at the people across the table from them. I've seen it myself. I went to McDonald's to order a salad, of course, a salad. 
and, and as I was leaving, I noticed that everybody at the table in the McDonald's had their phones up and they were looking on their phones, not paying attention to the person across the table from them, even at a dinner at McDonald's. We, we neglect uh, personal contact sometimes in favor of the virtual short. They said that, a, uh, the sort rather, they said that a typical American checks his or her phone 46 times a day. And if they're in between the ages of 18 and 24, they do so even more, averaging somewhere along 74 looks a day. When one is looking at their cell phone instead of interacting with the person in front of them, they've come up with a name for it. They call it fubbing. They take phone and snubbing and combine them together. Phone snubbing, fubbing. A recent, a recent study at Baylor University concluded that the more one partner in a relationship is distracted by his or her phone, the less the other partner feels satisfaction with the relationship. Duh. <laughs> Who funds these obvious studies? Uh, but there is a desire of missing out. I, too, like to check my phone. I, too, spend some time, probably too much, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and sending out e-blasts because the phone has become convenient. I can write my sermon on a phone now. And now when I write it on my phone, it'll be on my iPad and my computer and stored in the cloud in case I lose it. I'm a product of technology. There is a fear of missing out. There are so many breaking news stories that happen on Twitter before they get to put on your 5 o'clock news. Uh, there, there are things that happen and so you miss out. People are wired to be hardwired though as well. Uh, meaning that the more you do something, the more you want to do it. And so things become a habit. And when it becomes a habit, it becomes hard to break it. And sometimes we do these things. We've gained a habit one way at the expense of gaining a, 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 of, of something else. We've, we've snubbed or we've fubbed something because we formed a habit. And, and that behavior has been hardwired into us at the expense of other things. If you like a certain type of coffee in the morning, it can become a habit. If you take a certain way to work every morning, it can become a habit. If you're used to just coming to church, worshiping in the service and leaving, that can become a habit without participating in any of the ministries of the community as well. That can become a habit. If you don't take notice of the community around you like we are told to do in Matthew 25, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and binding up the rooms of the afflicted, it can become a habit. Uh, these things, the point is, is that you, when you focus on some things too much, you miss out on all of those things. So in a sense, the fubbing is not just about smartphone use. It's about what we give our priority to, even when it comes yes. to the things of God. Yes. Is the microphone still working? God? Uh, we, we prioritize certain things, and then we start snubbing other things out of it. We prioritize worship styles. We prioritize what type of worship we have, what type of music we listen to, whether or not the hymnal is blue or, or red. We prioritize what kind of songs we do. We prioritize our seats. Amen. 
we prioritize a whole lot of things and we do it at the expense of others. And when we prioritize our own personal preferences in the church at the expense of the community around us, we become a private club that nobody knows how to get into. Ah, yes. And so when we talk about loving one another and we talk about loving those people and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, that is what Jesus was getting at when he said that this was the greatest commandment. Uh, he, this is Jesus responding to a trick question. They're out here thinking that they can trap Jesus with these trick questions. See, Jesus has been talking to them as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks walking through Matthew. Jesus has already told them that they have missed their invitation to the wedding. Uh, And then after that, you have these people trying to trick Jesus when they ask him about the coin or paying taxes uh, uh, that Reverend Walters covered the uh, the week before about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God. They had asked him another trick question and they were trying to either get him to commit treason or blasphemy. But Jesus did not fall for that. And so they had questions after that about marriage after the resurrection. And they, Jesus had to explain to them after that that marriage is for this earthly, uh, this earthly domain. And when we get to the great hereafter, there is no marriage there. That We should be focused on God. And now we get to another question where they try to trick him. Uh, they have a request. Let the church say request. Uh, they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law and Jesus response is more both the greatest and the second greatest Uh, he told them to love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and a second is like that Uh, to love your neighbor as yourself this love thing is not new I know some of us like to divide the Bible up and act like the Old Testament doesn't exist anymore, but this is not something new. When Jesus was telling them to love the Lord with all their heart and their soul and their mind and to love their neighbor as themselves, he was actually quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He was in Deuteronomy 6 and 5 and Leviticus 19 and 8. Uh, Those things, we did not come to throw away the Old Testament. This is not Piccadilly. This is not Luby's. This is not some all-you-can-eat restaurant. This is not some vending machine where you can go and say, well, I want some of that, and I don't want this. I, I'll take some of this, and I'll not do that. I'm going to come to church on Sunday, but I'm not going to love my neighbor. I'm going to say preach, preacher, when the pastor start talking about gossiping, but as soon as I get at home on the phone, girl, did you hear what so-and-so did? Ah, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 17 that he came not to abolish the law, but fulfill it. And so this ain't nothing new. We've been on love. The problem has not been the Bible. The problem has been how we interpret it. Uh, We have to love one another. I'll say it time and time again. I know I preach for a living. I know I preach for a living, but you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. Some of you will be the only Bible some people ever read. You will always be the, somebody's perception of a Christian. They don't base whether or not they go to church on what the Bible says or what Jesus did. They base whether or not they go to church based on how the Christians treat them. Ah, so this, he came, this love thing is nothing new. 
Ah, love, the love that the word that he uses in the Matthew 22 is the Greek word agapeo, which is love, sometimes used for love or beloved or cling or desire or to show uh, love. Uh, the agapeo is the Greek, is, is, uh, it's Greek, but it's the verb form of agape, verb. That means you got to do something about it. A verb is a word used to describe an action or state or an occurrence and the forming of the main part of the predicate of a sentence. It's something you do. I can say I love my wife, but if I don't do those things that show love, do I really love her? I can say I want to get in shape, but if I keep eating triple cheeseburgers and extra large shakes, that don't mean I'm, uh, that doesn't mean I'm really doing what I said I wanted to do. I can say I love my neighbor, but if I walk past my neighbor and don't speak, if I see somebody that's a little down on their luck and I don't even acknowledge them as a human being, do I really love my neighbor? Ah, are you showing your neighbor love? Who is your neighbor? Uh, theologian Cain uh, Hope uh, Felder says that neighbor means another human being, regardless or irrespective of the person's race or class. I'm going to say that again. Cain Hope Felder said that neighbor means another human being, irrespective of the other person's race or class. Neighbor is a concept that Jesus had been working on in the gospel according to Matthew all the way through. It was a, it was a concept that Jesus was expanding because at that time, prior to the, the Jesus coming around to expand this term, neighbor meant to them a fellow Israelite. Uh, they had to be cut from the same cloth as I. They had to have the same kind of education as I. They had to live in the same neighborhood as I. They had to do like I did and meet my standards. But Jesus was trying to say that you're doing it wrong. A neighbor can be somebody else. It's another human being. It can even include your enemies. Ah. Yes, in Matthew 5, when he talks about these things, is the person's close. And it's out here to show us that the person's, that, that how we treat people is showing God's perfect love. And just like we are a child of God, they're a child of God. Just like we are a child of God, they are a child of God. And how much love should we be giving to our brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. And so these commandments are important because he says that all other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are, are based on these commandments. On these two laws hang all the laws and the prophets. That's what they say. And, and, and what was going on here is these, these church folk, these theologians were trying to trick him. Uh, some translations say an expert in the law. Other translations actually say a lawyer or an attorney. Um, and, and this is, they, they're, they're trying to trick him when they ask him which is the greatest. They don't really care which law was the greatest. They're trying to, 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 to get him to, to slip up in his speech. That's why they, they always say if you have to go to court for something, you need an attorney. Because it's not what you go in there saying, it's what you go in there and you might not say. 
You, you, those who try to defend themselves will miss out on discovery and how to properly file a motion and how to get an audience with the judge about all these things. And so they weren't here asking for what was going on. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to play a game. And Jesus was on to them. Uh, the question about the greatest commandment was a loaded one. Because the rabbis all taught their people that they viewed all the laws the same. All 16, 613 commands in the Torah had equal ranking. And any one of them would have been scandalous. And uh, 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 ranking, rather, any one of them would be scandalous and considered uh, bad human practice. So the questions that the Pharisees asked was designed not to find out from Jesus which, which law he thought was greater. They were trying to get him to talk about which one was greater at the expense of the other one. And so they got him, if they would have got him to say that this law is greater than the next one, they'd have trapped him up and said, okay, well, what about this law? And what about that law? See, you don't care about all of this stuff. They were trying to twist his words. But Jesus turned the debate around about laws and stated that the one thing that comes to a universal creed, and, and they call it the Shema when they were reciting it in Deuteronomy, that the love of God with the heart, the soul, and the mind was such a vital commandment that the, the Hebrew people had at that time would actually bind this on their hands and foreheads and the doorposts of their homes. In other words, it wasn't the text that mattered. It was the command to love God and it needed to be lived out in their thoughts. One's actions and one's homes. That's why they put it on the head and the hands and the doorposts of the light because they had to be done. This wasn't just a text but a life that had to be lived. Loving the Lord your God with everything in you was not just something you said to get out the way. It was something you had to live. And these people were trying to trick him. And it was interesting that this is the only occurrence for the word when they call him an expert in the law or a lawyer. It's the only occurrence of that word in Matthew. What's also interesting is then when the word that they use for test, when they asked him a question to test him, uh, they only used that word for test in the Greek when the devil was trying to test Jesus. So sometimes when somebody comes up to you, it's not them trying to hurt you, it's something behind them. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places. These things, sometimes the problem that is going on is not that person's the flesh. Sometimes there are things we have to deal with in the spirits. Uh, but they have, they tried to trick him into going against one of these laws or down talking one of these laws. And it's 613 laws total, 248 that would be considered positive and 365 laws that would be considered negative. So there's something negative for every day. Uh, but some people smarter than I have said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So no matter what the negative situation is, if we keep our minds on Jesus, if we keep our minds stayed on the positive, if we keep our minds focused on what matters most, it won't matter. Amen. Jesus didn't fall for the trap and he came for the cover, the basis for all the laws. And this whole time with the discussion about the wedding and the discussion about paying taxes to Caesar or paying things to God and all of these things that they were trying to test Jesus with, 
It was interesting that they would talk about the letter of the law and trying to debate and discuss the law, but nobody was actually talking about obedience to the law. Uh, We can get caught up to the point on rules that we don't actually do what God told us to do. And so while they were talking about rules, Jesus was saying, let's actually talk about doing the rules instead of talking about the rules. Because if you spend a bunch of time pointing out how somebody else is breaking the rules, nobody can look at the fact that you're breaking them. You know, I, I spent some time working on a plant for a skeet taste. And, and, and those who have worked on a plant understand that there is a very, very robust safety conscious environment. Uh, we had to have a job safety analysis on how to uh, pull a, a, paper, uh, a paper staple out of a stack of papers. They had a job safety analysis for everything we did on the job. What kind of personal protective equipment you needed to wear. How you were supposed to do that job. My main job around, went around fixing equipment, but I had to have a folder uh, or, or a binder on me at all times with all the particular jobs I had to do and all the safety precautions that I would have to do to do it, to conduct said job. And, 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 uh, and a safety officer could walk by while I was in the middle of doing something and they could say, I need to see your JSA. What, what are you doing here? And so I have to show them the folder. Okay, does he have glasses on? Okay, he got glasses on. Does he have gloves on? Okay, he's got gloves on. Okay, does he have, does he have, a, uh, does he have his JSA out? He had his JSA out. Where's his ladder at? Is it properly coned off? That was somebody, anybody could walk by and stop that. Stop what I was doing in the middle of what I was doing just to make sure I was doing it safely. And I used to get upset about that because I was like, you spent all this time checking me for safety. But all I could have been in and out and done the job that I needed to do. But the thing was that there were some people at this job on this plant that weren't good at anything else except pointing out rules to other people. It takes all kinds to run an organization, but sometimes we have to understand that you can't get caught up arguing about whether or not this, D, this I is dotted or this T is crossed. Sometimes you have to look at what is actually going on. And in this debate about which commandment was the greatest, nobody was actually out here doing love. Uh, and so we get caught up on these rules. And so Jesus decides, I'm kind of tired of y'all asking me a bunch of questions like this, trying to trick me up. You're not going to trap me up. I was here before the world was formed. Uh, The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In John uh, chapter 1, and we go to Revelation, and then it says that John, in John later on, in about the 14th verse, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you're not going to trap Jesus up. So I'm going to ask you something to shut this thing down. And so he asks, what do you think about the Messiah? And they ask, and they say, how, and he asks them, how is it that David, whose son is he? And how is it that David can uh, call him Lord by the Holy Spirit? Because he's, 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 uh, these things are going on, and they ask him, well, if, if Jesus is Lord, how can he also be Lord and the son of David? As he's referencing in Psalm 110 and 1. And he shuts it down and he he lets them know that the Messiah is, when he's telling them this, he's letting them know that the Messiah is is David's son, letting us know that he is human. But David is calling the Messiah Lord to let us know that he is divine. 
uh, David is able to call his descendant Lord because the Messiah was prophesied to be uh, part of the tribe of Judah during this time. And, and, and then he's called the root and the offspring of David because David gets who he is from Jesus. But the offspring, because the prophecy is foretold that the Messiah would come through David. I mean, through the David, and David was the, the, the tribe of Judah. And so he can be both the descendant and the forefather because he was here at the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the prophecy told us that he was also going to come through the lineage of Judah. And he got that lineage of Judah by being the son of Joseph. So he's able to be both human and both divine. Uh, fully human. Because Jesus had to become that which what he was going to save. And fully divine so that he could have that power in order to do his work on the cross and save us all. So he was both and he became what he saved. And because he became what he was going to save and was divine and had the power to be able to save us, he did it out of love. And because he did what he did out of love, we are supposed to love. The the whole time we've been reading through this passage, it said greatest commandment, Uh, not greatest suggestion, not greatest inference, not greatest uh, do it when you got time, not greatest maybe I'll figure it out when I get some time in my schedule, not greatest well it's not at the top of the list but maybe I'll work it down, no it was a command and not only a one command but two commands, love God and love your neighbor. Period. Yes. Love God and love your neighbor. Period. Uh, Martin Luther King referenced it when he talked about the love and the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. He said the first question which the priest and the Levite asked is if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said if I do not stop and help this man, What will happen to him? If we are going to be who God has called us to be in this world, we're going to have to love one another. We're not just going to have to love the people that are within the four walls of this church. We're going to have to love those out in the community. They may not look like we look. They may not talk how we talk. They may not have the same education that we have. They may not be from the same generation as our same generation as us. They may not be fifth generation Methodists. They daddy may not have poured the concrete for the parking lot, but we still going to have to love them. They may not dress the way that we think they should be dressing, but we still going to have to love them. They may not drive the kind of car we think that they should be driving, but we still going to have to love them. They may not hablo inglés, but we still need to be able to tell them, El amor del Christos es para todos. That's the love of Christ is for all in Espanol. We got to be willing to tell them these things because God didn't ask those things when he stepped out of humanity and put on human clothes and was born in a manger with no roof or an end. He didn't ask those kind of questions when he lived the life that we could not live. He didn't ask those kind of questions when he healed the sick, rose the de- raised the dead, opened up blinded eyes, helped the, binded up the wounds of the afflicted. He didn't ask those kind of things on Calvary. He didn't ask those kind of things when he took a cat of nine tails. He didn't ask those kind of things when he put on a crown of thorns. He didn't ask those kind of things when he had to carry a cross all the way to Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull. He didn't ask those kind of things when they were beating him and mocking him and saying, prophesy 
Jesus? Tell us which one of us hit you. He didn't ask those kind of questions when he died. He didn't ask those kind of questions three days later when he got up with all power in his hands. He didn't ask those kind of questions when he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's not where the story ends. I'm glad that he's coming back. Will you be ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.